Um, we're going to begin a series. I'm unsure precisely as to how long it's going to be. I don't have a, the exact number of parts planned out because I really don't know if we'll need to spend, you know, one Sunday, two Sunday, even three Sundays on some of the uh, sections uh, that we're going to come across in this series. Um, but we're going to begin a series uh, moving through the cults, looking at different cults. Now, obviously, uh, even that language cult comes with uh, some baggage that we're going to try to clear up today. What is a cult? How do we define the cults? Is a cult just any religion, not Christianity? Uh, well, not really. It's not that It's not that simple. So we'll look at that today. But we're going to be going through the cults. And um, today I'm just largely going to be introducing the series. So we're not going to get into any one cult. The first cult that we're going to get into next Sunday is going to be Mormonism. We're going to begin addressing Mormonism uh, next week, and then we'll move uh, throughout some others. But the uh, the question I would like to begin with, and I'll ask the question, and then we'll pray. Uh, the question is, has our Lord been faithful to build his church? Has our Lord been faithful to build his church? as he promised to do in Matthew 16. And that's the question that we're going to be asking throughout uh, this, this series, and the question we'll hopefully answer as we compare how our Lord has built his church to uh, these various cults. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and ask the Lord for wisdom. Our gracious God in heaven, we uh, come to you asking you to feed us with your word. Uh, we pray that as we embark upon this, uh, this, this series, that it would not merely be a series where we learn how to apologetically or polemically address those uh, religious sects or groups that disagree with Christianity, but that we would also learn how to uh, better understand our own faith, our own orthodoxy, our own Christianity, in contrast to uh, these various groups, uh, various um, uh, so-called churches that have uh, arisen over many, many years uh, as they come in and develop and uh, sometimes put forth systems that on the surface uh, look like the true church and look like Christianity. So we pray that you would help us to understand true Christianity, uh, true biblical uh, Christian pure religion in contrast to uh, what essentially amount to imposter faiths. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to not only learn to engage those who are caught in these uh, various cults, but also that you would help us to grow uh, in love and truth and, uh, and grow in our own understanding of Christian orthodoxy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the, the quick answer to, and we're going to see this all the more as we go through, but the quick answer to the question, has our Lord been faithful to build his church, is yes, obviously. Um, as Christians who uh, believe that Christ is the God-man, the one uh, who is divine and yet has assumed the fullness of our nature to himself, we must confess that our Lord has successfully and faithfully constructed the edifice of his church over the last two millennia. He promises in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. Not only has our Lord been faithful to build his church, 
but he has done so through the means of teaching and preaching of the 66 books of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in point of fact, Scripture itself condemns all those, has very strong words toward those who would add to the canon of Scripture following the closure of the canon of Scripture. Think of texts like Revelation 22, 18, and uh, some of those texts that we read um, in a sermon a few weeks ago. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Interestingly, that comes at the very last book of the Scriptures, the very last book of the New Testament, uh, and kind of sets the standard for what the closure of the New Testament canon means. It means that this is a complete rule of faith. This is a complete canon of divine revelation. So if anyone adds to these things, we know that they are not from God. So Christ has built his church faithfully. Um, He has done so personally and authoritatively through his holy word as his spirit is pleased to apply it. And when we make that observation, and then we look at the world around us and we realize that there are very many organizations, groups, chapters, sects, S-E-C-T-S, um, and, uh, uh, and various uh, understandings of even the word Christ, the name Christ or the name Jesus, various understandings of what God means, whether there's one God or many gods. And we begin to look around even in our own backyards, right, within our own city. And we begin to see that there are very many groups who uh, maybe they look the same in terms of what they say, but upon more careful observation, we begin to realize that they have very strange practices, practices that we're not used to. And it's not as if uh, they're just practices that we're not used to in the sense of uh, Presbyterians or uh, or Lutherans or something like that. These are practices uh, that would indicate that they perhaps have a different understanding of God altogether, uh, that they have a different understanding uh, of the gospel altogether. And so how what do we say to them? How do we engage them? And how do we know ourselves and what we believe in contrast to them? We need to evaluate those religious groups and theological systems that would seek to teach New Testaments, plural, New Testaments, newer than the, the New Testament, new revelations, and new authorities that reveal that which goes beyond Scripture or that which adds to Scripture. Okay, that gives you a little bit of insight into how we'll define cults later on. Um, we are led to a, an important and necessary evaluation of those religious and, and, and theological groups, theological systems that would seek to teach New Testaments, new revelations, and new authorities that reveal that which goes beyond Scripture, that which adds to Scripture. But before we begin an analysis of the cults, before we begin looking at these different groups, some of which you know of, some of which perhaps you don't, um, we need to uh, we need to start with some house cleaning. Uh, we have a lot of material here just by way of introduction, so that we can clear the way, we can understand what a cult is, and then we can have that understanding with us as we progress through the series. So the first thing I want to do is I want to ask the question, very simple question: um, What is a cult?
Does anybody have any ideas? Kelly. By definition, that is a mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. There's there seems to be a um uh, a legal temper that would that would almost um not necessarily coerce someone to believe what they believe, but um uh, there is a uh, a desire to um uh, maybe a word for it would be indoctrinate other people um into their system uh usually without any sort of demonstration uh or heavy exegetical support from scripture um the word cult in in other literature has a very broad meaning uh it it can simply mean worship uh if you look at an old testament uh you know, uh, biblical theology or an Old Testament, uh, a book that evaluates the worship of the whole Old Testament. Sometimes you'll hear uh, the word used, their cultic practice. And by that, they're not saying that the Old Testament was a cult, like we would identify, you know, something like Mormonism or something like that. And so in a very broad sense, the word cult from the Latin would just mean worship. It just means a, a a an act of worship. To be cultic is to worship. And so even Christians can talk about cultic actions with regard to our worship. When studying the Old Testament, Israel's rites of worship, we're studying cultic practices in the broadest use of that word. Um, but the word cult has a more negative, more familiar use that denotes a group of people whose allegiance and admiration are directed to a single person, usually directed to a single person. This is why when you've encountered cults, you've usually heard them talk about their living apostle or their living apostles. Um, If they don't call them apostle, they have some equivalent uh, that stands above their order, that stands above their organization, and that kind of pulls the strings, directs affairs, and rightly interprets their particular oracles. Um, sometimes they will include the scriptures um, along with their own so-called revelation. Sometimes they won't. Uh, so it's very difficult to actually discern where they're coming from. And most of the time, they're going to want to veil the core or the central beliefs that they hold near and dear because they know that they're going to be shocking to most people that have grown up in a largely Christianized society up until relatively recent with the last few generations. Um, so the, the word cult is used in a more negative sense. It's not just used in reference to worship. Generally, it's used to denote a group of people whose allegiance and admiration are directed to a single person. But then you think, wait a minute, um, our, our allegiance and admiration is directed to a person as well. It's the person of Jesus Christ, right? Not to a person on earth. Um, so even that would be a little too broad. Uh, Christians have allegiance to the person of Christ. Um, As Christians, when we speak of the cults, we're usually speaking of those systems of worship and doctrine that use Christian language, but have departed from Christian meaning. That's probably what we're most familiar with in, in regard to cults. You think about Mormonism, and much of their vocabulary is biblical vocabulary with different meanings, unbiblical definitions attached to that vocabulary. Um, And so you look through, uh, there's a very handy website on churchofchrist.com or .org, I can't remember which it is, 
that uh, allows you to navigate an encyclopedia of uh, Mormon belief, uh, Church of Latter-day Saints belief. And when you're cycling through that dictionary, you realize, well, Aaronic priesthood, the priesthood of Aaron or the Levitical priesthood, they have that word in their dictionary. You begin to read the dictionary definition of that word, and it's very different from how we would understand it. Or you look up the word Jesus, and you realize it's in their dictionary. They use it as a part of their vocabulary in their theological encyclopedia, but you read the definition of that word, and it's very different than how we would understand it. Or even the word God, uh, very different from how we would understand the word God. And we'll get into that more when we look at Mormonism next week. So when we speak of the cults, we speak usually of those systems of worship and doctrine that use Christian language but have departed from Christian meaning and that pay special admiration and homage, have allegiance to a single person, and usually that single person is presently on the earth. Okay. Uh, let me give an example of this, of this idea of uh, a cult using uh, Christian language with different definitions. When you interact with a Jehovah's Witness, and if you're interacting with one of their elders, I would encourage you not to go to John 1. Um, if you do go to John 1, you'll have to make some heavy qualifications so that you can sufficiently distinguish your belief about what that passage means uh, from theirs. If you just read John 1, 1 through 3 to them, they will agree with you. They're going to agree with you in terms of the reading, the bare reading of that text. Um, They'll readily agree with you if you were to read John 1, 1 through 2, for example, to them. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. And they'll say, yeah, sure. Um, they, they affirm the words, but they do not affirm the correct meaning of the words. They've assigned different definitions to those terms. And so the Jehovah's Witness, for that reason, would prefer to read John 1, 1, uh, John 1, 1 through 2, like this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They'll, they'll supply the indefinite article there because there's no definite article in the Greek. And so they'll say, oh, see, because we can supply the indefinite article there in the Watchtower edition of their, of their Bible, um, then that means that Jesus was God-like, or we could even say that he was a God, but he's not one God with the Father. Right? He's not one God with Jehovah. Now, that's going to look a lot different in Mormonism. They don't have the same beliefs between Jehovah's Witness and Mormons. They do not have the same beliefs about God whatsoever. They're very different, and we'll look at that when we come to it. So a cult uses Christian, even biblical vocabulary while attaching meaning or definition to that vocabulary that is opposite to the Orthodox Christian understanding. This is part of the reason they've been able to gain followings over the last century, century and a half. Uh, they've been able to gain followings over the last century, century and a half, because people, especially cultural Christians, are, are uh, conditioned to think that so long as we use the correct vocabulary, uh, that whoever uses the correct vocabulary must also be Christian. Oh, and by the way, look at this, uh, look at this particular society. Think Mormonism, for example. They're very moral. They seem very moral. They're very uh, clean, well-kept individuals. They have uh, what appears to be on the outside, a thriving community, uh, family-oriented. Uh, they protect one another uh, through preparation for end-time scenarios, food and finances. Um, 
they, uh, they are very focused on preventing, uh, you know, sinful cultural practices from entering into their, from entering into their midst. Who wouldn't, you know, in, in a place and in, in, in an individual that is, that is scared and afraid of society, and someone who's been conditioned as a cultural Christian to think the vocabulary is all that matters, not necessarily the meanings attached to that vocabulary, why not join up with the Mormon cult? Um, Jehovah's Witnesses have somewhat of the same appeal, uh, and um, you know who doesn't want to be part of what appears to be a thriving society? Unfortunately, when uh, you, you open the hood and you realize that a lot of people who become involved in these cults after a while, first year, two year, three year, fourth year, realize that it's not all it's cracked up to be. And then when they try to leave, there's character assault and all sorts of things that go on within those cults. But this is how they're able to amass a following because they're appealing to a largely uh, Christianized, in terms of popular vocabulary, uh, population. They've done so over the last century and a half quite successfully. So what we mean when we say a cult is we mean those heretical sects, again, S-E-C-T-S, that cloak themselves in Christian clothing, Christian robes, while attaching different meanings to Christian vocabulary. It's a proper wolf in sheep's clothing situation. Um, you can think of Jesus' words about the whitewashed tombs, that everything looks good on the outside, or the, the, the fancy cup that's been washed on the outside but is, is dirty on the inside, or the whitewashed tomb that looks great and it's decorated within a beautiful garden on the outside, but you walk into the inside and it's full of corpses, and it smells like death. A little bit more here on defining a cult. Um, a cult can be further defined by saying it is a group of people centered around a leader or leaders who systematically, this is usually what happens, and this is how you can get to the heart of the matter in terms of what they believe. They systematically deny the Trinity and the deity of Christ. You'll be able to identify a cult when those two beliefs are compromised. All right, When you realize that they do not have a doctrine of the Trinity an orthodox doctrine of the Trinity, or an orthodox doctrine of Christ, yet they're this organized body with living apostles and all of this stuff, you'll realize that's a cult. Um, an example of how this happened, uh, how this has happened throughout the years, and this is one of the oldest examples, Islam. Islam has a doctrine of Christ, but they deny his deity. All right, So they include Christ within the canon of their uh, of their prophets, right? And they revere him as as one of the lead prophets in the Islamic tradition. Um, but they deny his deity. They also, of course, reject the Trinity. They are uh, monadistic. That means they believe in um, one single entity or being uh, like we do, but they would reject the personal relations within that being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Christ and the Trinity. Mormons affirm the deity. Now listen to this. Mormons affirm the deity of Christ, but think of him as one God among many. Okay, so their Christology is off as well. They also deny the Trinity, obviously. <clears throat> They'll use words like Godhead, right? Which we're like, oh yeah, that's a familiar, another familiar term, the Godhead. They'll use words like Godhead, but they understand the members of the Godhead to be 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and who they understand them to be are three gods, two of which, in terms of Father and Son, are physically embodied persons. The Holy Spirit's the only spiritual being within the Godhead. But see what I mean, the surface level language would lead some to believe, oh yeah, they just believe the same thing that Christians believe. And this is why they've been able to get away in part with saying that they are Christians, that they are the Christian church, Church of Christ, Latter-day Saints. Scientology has extremely loose dogma. It doesn't have a whole lot of dogma, more so principles uh, when it comes to God and, and Christ, but they deny the deity of Christ and they think of him as merely a good teacher in history. Uh, we'll get into Scientology. Scientology, by the way, is not Christian science. Those are two different things. We're going to look at both of them. Um, so a cult, when we speak of it here, could be defined as a system of religion that centers around a person or persons while also denying the Trinity and the deity of Christ. There's more, though, actually. It gets even more complicated. Because post-Vatican I, Roman Catholicism affirms the Trinity and the deity of Christ. In fact, we wouldn't have any difference with them at all with regard to the doctrine of the Trinity or the doctrine of Christ, except when it comes to things like transubstantiation, their understanding of the uh, communication of idioms between the natures in Christ. Uh, we would differ there, obviously. Um, but they center around a man or men who are not Jesus Christ. Think papal infallibility, college of bishops, etc. at the Vatican and Rome. Um, and so that would be sufficient to distinguish them as a cult. They have a false gospel and and so on. And so we'll we'll look at how uh, Roman Catholicism, today's Roman Catholicism, functions as a cult when we get to it. So it's it's a little bit difficult. Like what is a cult? Um, there are uh, many different systems and religions out there that perhaps we wouldn't define as a cult. Um, but then there are many systems and traditions out there that we would. And so I think the definition we're going to go with here for our purposes is, is this is how we're going to define it. And this is going to form what we look at moving from here on out. Here's the definition. A cult is a religious system that takes its principles of religious knowledge and religious worship from sources other than the Trinity and the one mediator between God and men, Jesus Christ. Which means they take their principles of knowledge and worship from sources other than the Scriptures. Joseph Smith claimed to uh, encounter additional revelation. That's where the Book of Mormon comes from, the Doctrine of Covenants, and so on. Uh, Muhammad and the Quran uh, is uh, a claim to additional revelation beyond uh, the canon of Scripture. The papacy and college of bishops in the Vatican or at the Vatican in Rome to this very day reserve the right to infallibly interpret the Holy Scriptures and, if needed, add to the Holy Scriptures with codified uh, church tradition that is not revealed in Scripture. Uh, any man or men that would act as a source of law, doctrine, the structure of worship for their quote-unquote church or gathering or cult is a cult leader. And an organization that follows someone like that is a cult. I do want to say one, one other thing here. You've probably also heard the word occult. 
Okay? These are different things. Um, the occult, we're not really going to be looking at the occult uh, within this series, although there's some obviously, there's some relationships between what we will be looking at and the occult. Uh, both are Latin terms. The word cult is where we get our word cultivate. has co connotations of paying attention, inhabiting a subject, uh, more strongly worship. But the word occult is a different word, meaning secret or covered over, something that is veiled. And the word occult has reference to the Gnostic idea of secret or exclusive knowledge that belongs only to a certain amount of individuals and has special reference to witchcraft practices like voodoo or Satanism or something like that. So that's we're not going to quite get into... You can say indirectly that all cults are involved in that, of course, but um, the occult is an explicit reference to explicit practices. So we're not dealing with the occult here. I like that. That was pretty music, Debbie. You can no. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? It is. Uh, a cult is a religious system that takes its principles of knowledge and worship from sources other than Trinity and the one mediator between God and men, the Lord Jesus Christ. And to summarize that, <clears throat> you could say they take their principles of knowledge and worship from something other than the scriptures. Um, the reason I made it specific to Trinity and the one mediator between God and men is because a lot of cults will take the Bible, harp on the Bible, say they use the Bible, but yet they'll deny the Trinity and the one true mediator between God and men. <clears throat> and so I think it's helpful to specify what exactly we're talking about and to specify who we believe the God is who revealed uh, the scriptures. So why is this important? Let's go over some learning objectives as we get started here with this series. Why is it important to learn the cults? I don't want this to turn in. A lot of times when you, when you run into classes about cults or you read books about cults, Walter Martin's Kingdom of Cults is one of the f most famous ones. Um, I don't want it to turn into a mere apologetic exercise. Uh, the word apologetics... The idea is not to say you're sorry or anything like that, but to offer a defense, a reason defense, uh, in this case of the Christian faith. Um, sometimes, you know, series on cults, books on cults are wholly taken up with the task of apologetics. We will get into that. Um, but I want us to major in knowing our own beliefs and growing in our own beliefs and being strengthened in our own beliefs as we look at our own beliefs in contrast with the cults. All right, so this is this is a, a bigger picture kind of goal here. Um, and so I've got four things that will kind of line that out here. Why is this important? Why is it important to study and engage the cults and uh, interact with the cults with uh, our, our theology, our, um, our beliefs, our faith? Well, there's four reasons. Number one, we we want to be able to see, and we we want to be trained to see, uh, to some extent, and and this survey will help us do that, to see old heresy in new clothes, right? It's sometimes it's hard to see old heresy, because it always comes in new clothes, and um, we know Ecclesiastes, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, and when you begin to realize that Jehovah's Witness, uh, the Jehovah's Witness cult is 
nothing but a recapitulation of fourth century Arianism, right? You realize there's nothing new under the sun. It's just changed clothes, right? It's an old heresy and new clothes. Um, when we begin to realize something like Scientology puts a huge emphasis on, you know, uh, gnosis, knowledge, uh, knowledge that's only accessible to those who uh, are within the system. Um, uh, uh, Freemasonry is like this as well, to some extent, uh, which we may or may not look at. <clears throat> you realize that they are Gnostics. Uh, again, it's an old heresy in new clothes. And so what we want to do is we want to kind of become trained and, and train ourselves to see the old heresies in new clothes. Uh, because what happens is if we're, if we're out of focus and if we're, if we're out of practice with regard to spotting old heresy and new clothes, the new clothes deceive us, right? And we begin to think that, oh, maybe they are one of us, or maybe they are those we could, um, uh, you know, join with. Even this uh, conference, we had a couple, uh, Kelly interacted with them, I interacted with them some, Sam Renahan, who is one of the speakers, uh, interacted with them a little bit more because he spoke Spanish and uh, was able to to talk to them some. Uh, they were Mormons, and their whole message while they were here and those they would talk to, they were trying to get people to agree with them that we need to join and link arms together uh, because the days are dark and we need to team up. All right, and work together. Uh, but the problem with that, obviously, is that Mormonism is an example of old heresy in new clothes. Right? And um, it sounds good on the surface. They don't disclose their deepest held beliefs on the surface. And so sometimes that is hard to see. The new clothes distort the old heresy. The other reason this is important, the second reason, is evangelism and apologetics. So let me write these down. Um, we want to spot old heresy in new clothes. So that's important. That's one of the first reasons. Secondly, we want to uh, grow in our confidence in evangelism and apologetics. Okay, um... You guys realize that uh, less than a mile from here, there is a very strong, large in number Islamic academy. Um, it's, it's, I'm not certain how to get to it. I can see it from the highway. I don't know for sure how to get to it, but I can see it from uh, 50 highway there. And you would go back, I think, on 99th maybe or 100th. I don't know what street you would use to get there. But it's, 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 it's maybe about a mile from here. Um, so we're 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 close to those. I the church Christy and I were a member of in members of in uh, southern uh, in uh, San Diego. We shared a fence line with a mosque that housed two of the nine eleven hijackers. Um, and so uh, it's not it's not uncommon to find yourselves in close connection with or close proximity with those who uh, are are in these what we would call cults. Um, we know there's a strong Mormon presence in Kansas City. Uh, the, the previous house that Christy and I bought was owned by a Mormon family, and we, uh, it was, it, and that was in Pleasant Hill, right? We're not talking about independence. Uh, that was in Pleasant Hill, but take independence or, or liberty, and you got a heavy Mormon 
uh, population. So we want to grow in our confidence in terms of being able to evangelize and uh, offer a reasoned defense of our faith when we get into interactions with <clears throat> individuals like that. Because really we need to have a heart for them. Uh, some of them grew up in that lifestyle. They don't know any different, and perhaps they've never heard the true gospel. Some of them uh, were in what we would call regular churches, but never heard the true gospel. And something like Mormonism seemed more robust or rigorous, uh, more culturally aware and um, uh, on the defensive a little bit more than some churches. Uh, and so they were they were swept in for lack of discernment. Um, and so we need to have compassion on on these people. Not not all of these people have daggers in their eyes walking around. We're ready to devour the soul of a Christian. Some of them are just legitimately deceived. Um, now you start getting up into the higher echelons of people where you have elders and priests in various of these cults uh, who know exactly what they're doing. All right, but that's not the that's not the the rule. Right, that's not the norm. So we want to have a heart for them when we encounter them that we're able to engage them and uh, give them the true gospel. Uh, the other thing we want to do is we want to discern cult-like behavior because what happens is even in churches uh, or institutions that we'd characterize at present as orthodox, there is uh, there are tendencies, usually legalistic tendencies, to have a kind of uh, cult-like temper and uh, we want to <clears throat> be able to discern that. Not only in others, but in ourselves. I mean, you think of uh, legalism and all that entails, it leads to a real cult-like temper. Um, the fourth thing and last thing that we want to achieve here is we want to increase, and this is probably the most important for the, for the sake of the church here and the growth of the church spiritually, is we want to increase comfort with our orthodoxy. We want to increase our comfort level <clears throat> with our orthodoxy and what we believe. We want to be secure in our orthodoxy. You know what's uh, ironic is you have um, some Bible teachers or pastors or you know, theologians on the internet, uh, or or th they've written something, and I've I've had this happen on several occasions, um, and perhaps for lack of training or lack of awareness, or they just uh, lack of uh, of carefulness, they will describe the Trinity in a way that Mormons would describe the Godhead. An example would be well, um, the three persons in the Godhead are. Uh, divine persons that agree that are one in purpose, right? And um, uh, for the last 20, 30, 40, maybe even 100 years, that would have been acceptable as a, a definition of uh, the Trinitarian persons and how they are one with another, that they are one in purpose. Mormons say the same thing, right? And so how, how are we as Christians actually distinct from Mormonism if that's how we're describing the relation of the persons in the Holy Trinity? Uh, we wouldn't have much to go on. And so uh, there is definitely a difference. There is a distinction. And so it's important that we know that we know that. How are we going to proceed? The simple method is the better method. The simpler, the better. 
So uh, what, what I'm going to do, my plan is, as we go through this, is in each lesson or two lessons, maybe even three lessons, we'll learn about a particular cult. We'll learn what they believe. We won't be able to exhaust everything that each cult believes, by the way, because it's not just five or six things. Again, there's like an entire dictionary or encyclopedia on the Mormon website that'll take you through their nuanced positions on things. So what we're going to do is we're going to learn uh, really the uh, the main distinctives of each cult, its most distinctive beliefs, uh, and then we're gonna then we're gonna ask the question: How does this hold up to biblical and historical Christianity? All right. Um, again, the question operating on you know under the cover here and behind the scenes is: Has Christ been faithful to build his church? And if he has, then uh, how do we can we see the difference between Christianity? and these cults, and we'll look at how we can. So everybody wants to know which cults we're going to cover. And we have about nine here. There may be one more added to that um, if I decide to do something like <clears throat> Freemasonry. Um, let's see, how do I want to lay this out? There are three categories of cults. All right, let me erase what I have up here. Uh, this is going to help us organize and help us to think about these different cults, I think, in a, in a way that makes sense. And it'll probably answer some questions. You know, well, it'll, it'll kind of help to clarify the, the definition that we gave earlier of what a cult is. So there are three, three categories of cults. Uh, the first would be Pseudo-Christian cults. Okay. Pseudo-Christian cults. The third, or the second would be anti-Christian cults. All right. And then the third will be cults of apostasy. Now, I'm going to write each, each the, the cults that we're going to go over, I'll write them, I'll fill them in under these categories. Um, and that'll help you kind of understand what I'm doing here. So under pseudo-Christian cults, we have Mormonism, I can't write today. I'm sorry. Let's see here. All right, Mormonism pseudo basically means fake. It's a it's an imposter. Uh so pseudo Christian Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness. Or Watchtower Society. Christian Science, Church of Christ, and Seventh-day Adventism. 
Okay, so those would be pseudo-Christian cults. Those are cults that try to appear Christian but are not. All right. Anti-Christian cults are those that are obviously and honestly opposed to um, Christianity. I'll have, we only have two in this category: Scientology and Islam. Under cults of apostasy, we have two uh, Orthodox Judaism and post-Vatican I Roman Catholicism. Um, a lot of now the reason I don't have like Eastern Orthodoxy on here. And all of that is because a lot of what we address here is going to apply to that. Um, I still wouldn't. I would consider a. I, I would. I would consider Eastern Orthodoxy not as a cult, um, mainly because they reject the papacy, um, and it doesn't really. There are some things that it meets in our definition, but there are other things that it doesn't. It doesn't meet. So, um, it would be a, a heretical branch <clears throat> of Christianity. I would say apostate for sure. Um, but a cult, I don't think it fits the definition. But some, but a lot of what we cover here will will apply somewhat to them. Reformed Judaism could be in there as well. Um, I didn't put Reformed Judaism because Reformed Judaism is the liberal branch of Judaism, and they really don't have claims to the supernatural. They've rejected much of that. Um, and so we'll deal with just Judaism, Orthodox Judaism. Um, so that'll give you an idea of where we're going. Now, this is kind of going to be an order. We're going we're gonna to fill out this column first in terms of our series. We're going to go through this first, and then we'll look at these, and then we'll look at these. All right. Um, if we do... Uh, that's really weird. I'd almost have to make a fourth category for something like masonry. Um I'll think about that later. If we do Freemasonry, that might be a fourth. Masonry is kind of weird because um, they allow for all three quote-unquote Abrahamic religions and all that. So we'll we'll figure that out. That's uh, a deistic a deistic cult. Um, let me see here. We've already almost reached the end of our time. <clears throat> let me let me do this. We won't go through this in detail. Uh, I will just say this. I, I I would like to cover a biblical warrant for answering the cults. I think there's scripture that actually obligates us to this to some degree. Um, but write this down. If you're taking notes, write this down. Second Corinthians chapter ten, one through six, and then Titus one, seven through nine. I'll read those both here. Just uh, briefly, Second Corinthians ten one through six says, "Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with the with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh." For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, 
casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your disobedience is fulfilled. So you get that language there in 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6, pulling down strongholds, spiritual strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. These cults are examples. All of them are examples of arguments and quote-unquote high things. That's some slight Pauline sarcasm there uh, that exalt themselves against the knowledge uh, of God. And then the second text, Titus 1, 7 through 9, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. All right? To exhort and convict those who contradict. And these cults are examples of those who contradict the word of God. So with that said, let's pray. Uh, we don't have time for questions. If there are any questions, please let me know offline uh, here today or through email or a phone call. Uh, and then we'll uh, get to work looking at Mormonism next week. So let's pray that God will bless the remainder of our Lord's Day. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless us in this series, that you would um, edify us through it, um, in increase our compassion and our willingness to engage those who are or in these uh, involved in these groups that we would see them hope to see them and pray to see them come to Christ the true Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would bless our worship and fellowship today in Jesus name. Amen.